Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. G'day, this is Better Than Yesterday. Thanks for being a part of the show. It's better make it quick. It's the Wednesday edition where we listen back to an episode from the past. We've been here since 2013 having conversations that have been making it better every single week. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays we're here. Mondays, Wednesdays with a guest and Fridays with you. I'm Washi Ginsberg. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm an author. And I'm here to tell you that there's hundreds of interviews to have a listen to. And some of them you might have missed, which is what on Wednesdays is what we do. We go back and have a listen to some, just a little bit of one that hopefully you'll go back and check out the full Thing. In 2021, I was joined by Josh Fox, episode 387. Josh is a filmmaker, an environmental activist, a playwright, known for documentaries focusing on environmental issues, social issues. Josh was nominated for an Oscar for the extraordinary film Gasland, which if you've not seen is a, is a harrowing film about fracking, hydraulic fracturing, natural gas. And um, the film received a huge amount of critical acclaim. It shed light on environmental and health concerns that are associated with fracking. And the conversation is interesting. It's challenging in points. And I want to know with Josh, where did it start for him? When did he, when it came to trying to make people in power understand uh, the importance of renewables? 10 years ago, I co-founded an organization called The Solutions Project. 10 years ago, 2011, with Mark Ruffalo, the Incredible Hulk, as you probably know him, uh, Stanford University's Mark Jacobson, one of the greatest renewable energy planner scientists in the world, uh, a banker named Marco Kraepels, um, and then shortly after that, Leonardo DiCaprio got involved. And we founded this because we, we were showing governments in 2011 that you could have 100% renewable energy. And we were saying this in New York. New York State, which is northern, not a lot of sun, could go 100% renewable energy with, with wind and with offshore wind. And, with, and we showed the mix. In Australia, you could do this. It's like losing weight by getting a haircut. You have so much sun and you have so much space. You know, you could do this so fast. And yet the governments of the world, for a number of different reasons, and I think one of them is, has to do with greed, the incredibly outsized influence of the fossil fuel industry, right? Even though in Australia, 
you're literally adding colors to the map. It's getting so hot to the weather map. You know what I mean? That you've got black in the center of the country or purple, a color that's never been seen on a weather map because it's so hot. There's never been that temperature before. And you have lost, what is it, a billion animals because of the wildfires? I mean, the most devastating. It makes me crazy to think about it. And yet you're decided as a nation to chop off a chunk of the continent and send it to Asia in the form of coal I've seen some of the most unbelievably outrageous things that I've ever seen in my life in Australia uh, in terms of energy development. You're one of the most highest per capita carbon export, I think, in the world, or one of them. Of course, the United States is now the number one oil-producing country in the world. And if you count the fact that uh, the United States basically annexed Iraq, it's even more worse than that. So what I'm, what I'm saying is that there's an incredible influence of the oil and gas industry on Congress and on governments. That influence tends to terrify politicians and they want to run against ExxonMobil, even though they probably are anyway. The Obama administration was incredibly disappointing about this. They decided that they couldn't take on the entire oil industry at once, so they picked one. They picked gas. Instead of fighting coal, oil, and gas, they said, all right, we're going to kill off coal. But the natural gas industry went to the Obama administration and many other neoliberal governments, and they like the witches in Macbeth, lied. They went and said, well, we have half the carbon dioxide emissions of coal. So that sounded like a perfectly reasonable step, like for these centrists, oh, we'll just step down from coal to gas. Well, guess what? They were lying. They were, they left out this whole part about how the methane leaks into the atmosphere. Methane is a hundred times more potent than gas. Carbon dioxide is in the, in the atmosphere as a warming agent in the short time frame. And they just didn't mention that. So they created a power plan in the United States called the Clean Power Plan, <laughs> which created a ceiling for carbon emissions that coal-fired power plants couldn't survive. But gas-fired power plants could because they were only counting carbon dioxide, which is idiotic. You know, why not count all the greenhouse gas emissions? So they started building these things like MAD all across America, even though we don't need them. There's one that they try to build right over here in New Orleans East, and there were... There's six of them in the Scranton Valley, 35 miles from my house in Pennsylvania, where the Gasland film was filmed. So a lot of governments decided in their very lily-livered and unscientific type of way to embrace gas as they were trying to take on the rest of fossil fuels in some way. Of course, that's not what happened with Donald Trump or in Australia because of the conservative governments. They were like, oh, let's just frack and drill and screw everything up for fossil fuels as much as possible. The other unfortunate problem was that the Obama administration and Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden created what was called the Global Shale Gas Initiative. They were trying to push fracking in 30 countries worldwide. And much of this was leftover Cold War saber rattling because Vladimir Putin's Russia controls gas supply to Eastern Europe. So this was a Cold War gambit. We could uh, bring ExxonMobil into Poland, Bulgaria, Romania, and America would frack those countries instead of you getting them gas and oil from Vladimir Putin. Well, fossil fuels are the fuels of tyranny, whether that's the tyranny of Saddam Hussein and Vladimir Putin or the tyranny of George Bush, uh, or in this case, the tyranny of Barack Obama. What we should have done 10 years ago was follow the science that we helped to create, this idea of a Green New Deal, this idea of 100% renewable energy, which would have created a whole different type of just economy around the world instead of doing this Cold War politicking and done a Marshall Plan for renewable energy in Europe, in Africa, and all across the world. Instead, now you see 
fracking companies moving into the last elephant sanctuaries in Africa, in Namibia. And I'm getting uh, requests for gasland screenings in remote regions of Africa, where uh, Botswana and, and, and Namibia, where they're trying to fight off a Canadian company that wants to frack there and, and despoil a, a pristine re- region with indigenous people. Um, and you have China escalating fracking. You have Europe escalating fracking at this point in time. And so, you know, there is a possibility that we will have to go back to work and create another film to outline some of the, the these tyrannical geopolitics. But so you have all these factors at once. Conservative governments sometimes get in power, unfortunately, like Donald Trump, and the neoliberals who are not willing to take a bold stand to do what the science requires. Because if you ask any climate scientist, can you have fracking and a stable climate? The answer is no. You have to pick one or the other. So that's where we're at right now. And that's why I'm unfortunately, however many, a decade later, Totally happy to talk about Gasland. People should watch Gasland. And if you can get access to it, Gasland Part 2, especially from the Australian perspective. All right, then. So what is it that Josh thinks we need to do? We have to slow down. we got to slow down. Speed limits generally only go in one direction. They're going up, 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 up. When I was a kid, the speed limit was 55. Now it's 85. I'm going to argue that it should go back to 55. And I'm going to argue that people should be slowing down because we cannot continue at this pace. Coronavirus was like a nature's stop sign. And it literally was the result of us encroaching further and further into natural spaces, right? A bat that used to have a tree probably flew over somebody's restaurant in Spain or wherever the coronavirus came from. And because it no longer had its natural habitat, that zoonotic transfer happened. And there are hundreds of thousands of other possible parasites that could do the same thing. Nature is our, the edge of nature, which is the name of my film for this year, that I just finished sh- shooting, is the edge of our existence. So when we, t- when we think about what we have to do, yes, design is incredibly important, but we have given design over to the combustion engine. We have given design over to the General Motors and, and the Ford company. That is not the, tr- the case in, in Japan. That is not the case in a lot of in in many of the cities of Europe that that we think of as the most desirable places to be. Why? Because they were built before cars. If you go to a place that was built in the car, what does it look like? It looks like a shopping mall with vast parking lots full of nothing and spaces that have absolutely zero aesthetic value and no public function at all. No political function, no cultural and artistic function. That's like tacked on at the end. Like, it's like amazing to me. You go to a Walmart and they have a little curb and they have a shrub. You know, it's like, that's what you, what you did. Really? That's it. Mm. You know? So the idea is that, yes, the fossil fuel industry has taken away our sense of what we can create. Why could, why do you have to live in a place that I would never live in a place? Well, I do in the middle of the woods in Pennsylvania, but I think the rural areas have a completely other type of of voice that need to manifest. When we're talking about cities, and certainly when we're talking about suburbs, which are probably the most wasteful type of of arrangement to live in, right? It is the suburbs, which are dependent on cars, which have everybody's house climate controlled and a huge space for every person, you know, walled off from everyone else. That is the breeding ground, not only of the overconsumption of our societies, but also often of the contemptible politics of fear and authoritarianism. It is those walled gardens that people live in that end up becoming the walled gardens of the mind. 
It's so interesting how you've, you've drawn this fabulous picture from by giving over the design of our cities to this machine, this vehicle, which is uh, promoted for and used from the fuel of this massive industry, by giving yeah. that design over and then, oh, now we can build far away. Oh, now we can build far away from each other. We're no longer seeing each other. We're no longer seeing each other's faces. We're rolled right. off. We're, and and, and right. then it kind of puts this breeding ground. Um, I was saying that we were watching a, something on SBS the other night and it, was, it showed public housing in Italy. And, you know, we just turned mm. to each other like fucking public housing, just towers of despair everywhere in the world. You know, mm. they're built to try and solve a problem, but all they do is exacerbate a problem by the de very design of the structure creates mm. slums, creates gangs, creates youth crime, oh, creates sure. drugs. I mean, that was true in New York City too. I mean, and, and infrastructure is a social issue. Yeah. You did touch on something which takes us to the new film. You touched on living in a suburban house, uh, living uh, far away from people, not seeing anybody else that doesn't kind of look like you, not being present to other cultures, other needs, other diversities of mobility, of able, of, of economic uh, background, not ever seeing another country maybe. Mm. It brings us to this idea of how quickly, you know, radicalised used to be a word that we used for how did a, an 18-year-old kid decide to put on a backpack, walk into a restaurant and buy himself up. Ah, oh, he was radicalized. All right. And mm. how did being radicalized become a thing that white suburban, you know, mostly middle class or lower middle class people could be at risk of? Like this is where it brings us to your, the film, The Truth Has Changed. Like were you able to look back and see it started to shift around here as to when people started to be able to be so easily manipulated into reacting with fear and anger? Well, as I say in the film, you know, I come from a family of Holocaust survivors. And I think my exploration of this idea of intergenerational trauma, of the trauma that is in your DNA because your last the generation right before you went through a genocide, is something that connected me with the people at Standing Rock that I worked on this film, Awake, A Dream from Standing Rock, which I helped produce and I directed one segment of the uprising at Standing Rock. So it's very hard for me to say... There's an origin or a moment where this begins. But what I do know is that the politics of fear and division are used by those authoritarian forces in the world. We're back in a moment with Josh Fox. And um, if you do want to email me, you can send Osher email at gmail.com. That's my email address. I'd love to see a picture of what you're looking at. Just take a photo on your phone right now. You've got a camera on it. Point at it, what you're looking at. Boom, send it. Send us your email at gmail.com. I'd love to see it. And if you'd like to share this episode with someone who you think needs to hear it, just click the button in the corner of your podcast app or the arrow or the hamburger or three dots, whatever. I don't know what it is on your app, but send it. And um, please let them know because that does really, really help us a lot. We're back with Josh Fox in a moment. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. 
Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. This is Better Than Yesterday. I'm Washi Ginsberg. We are revisiting our conversation with Josh Fox, the man who made the Oscar-nominated film Gasland, which is amazing and harrowing all at once as a film. I want us to know how someone like Josh who has seen more shit than a lot of people, how does he just not go into, I don't know, just a tailspin? How does he enjoy life? Can he enjoy his morning cup of coffee? Well, I, I don't drink coffee, but I... Uh, okay, interview over. Uh, thank I you so much. I drink whiskey, though. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Not in the morning. But um, I made a whole film about this, actually, called How to Let Go of the World and Love All the Things Climate Can't Change, which, again, unfortunately, was not out in Australia. There are ways to watch things, but I don't know if you'll get paid for it. That's the problem, Josh. <laughs> no, 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 no. You Actually, you can watch How to Let Go on joshfoxfilm.com, which is worldwide. We put up all of my films that I own, except Gasland 2, unfortunately, on my website for free during coronavirus. So you can watch uh, How to Let Go of the World and Love All the Things Climate Can't Change. And I got that to that point. So how to, I was making a film, sort of like the Josh Fox guy, about climate. It was like, oh, well, we beat the fracking industry in Pennsylvania and New York. Let's Let's go to climate. And then all of a sudden, it's like, crash and burn in the middle of the film, you realize like, oh, wow, it's going to be bad. And lots of bad things are going to happen. And it's overwhelming. And it's really a film about what you're describing, which is climate despair. Climate psychosis, climate despair. And I solve the problem in the movie in a simple way. I go to try to find the people all around the world who have reached that point but haven't given up and to find out what they've done. And so I go to the Amazon and I'm with these incredible um, indigenous defenders of land and they take, they take us into the jungle to this oil spill. And I go to see Tim DeChristopher in Utah, blocked an oil and gas auction and spent two years in federal prison. And I go to uh, China to meet the people who are speaking out against the Chinese government, even at pain of whatever possible consequences a totalitarian government can throw it to. Uh, and actually wound up in Newcastle, in the port of Newcastle, with the Pacific Climate Warriors, who were fighting to keep their islands above water by trying to block the coal ships coming out of Newcastle, right? And uh, I just found in each one of those places a word that, that or, or a value that they held dear or that I felt like was coming out. So in the Amazon, it was courage. And in terms of the Pacific Islands, it was their resilience. In terms of Tim to Christopher, it was the principle of civil disobedience. You know, and so I go throughout the movie just trying to figure these things out. And, and what I came to was that the last speech of the film, I, I paraphrase, is, you know, this is the only planet that we have that has love songs, as far as we know, you know. And that the world is not lost or saved all at once. It's lost or saved every day. And, you know, unfortunately, that may be the best we can do right now. I mean, like, we're just dealing with another horrific police execution in America right now. And it does feel like this is one of those days where the world is lost, where you just, you cannot stand it anymore. You can't think, you can't see the manifestations of these systems and how they're working on people anymore. I can't watch another young black man get killed by the police for no reason at all. It's like you, you just feel lost on those days. And then the next day you have to figure out how to, save the world that day. 
because that's all that we have. And so for me, it's like, tell the truth, figure out how to tell the truth or talk about the truth. And then truth is changes about that. And also just, I think we, we have to do a lot more healing than we give ourselves an understanding for. I think before coronavirus, I think even for myself, it was like hundred miles an hour. Let's just go. Let's make tons of tons of things and try to go and every protest, every rally, everything I could you know, make. And then COVID hit and you're boom, you're stuck in, in your house. Or if you're lucky, you're able to be stuck in your house, right? And I think of it uh, as Levy Sanders, Bernie Sanders' son said, a global call to introspection. And I think we have to use that introspection. Um, but in terms of getting through the day, you, you know, you, you have to do the things that are going to just, well, I'll say it this way. You're saying it because it's a reaction to the truth. And it's a willingness to get involved in a movement or in politics, right? And often that leads you to some incredible burnout, right? But you have to do the thing that you love as part of the movement, right? You have to do add that. Like, like if I had gone up to the people in 2008 who were telling me about fracking for the first time and said, I want to help you be an organizer, you know, I would have lasted three weeks because I'm the most disorganized person on the planet and I can't organize a sock drawer. You know, my editor just yelled at me last three weeks ago. He said, you're the most disorganized person on the planet. They said, no, I'm not, you know, but like as a filmmaker, if I went up to them, I didn't say I want to be an organizer. I said, I want to make a movie about what you're doing, you know, and that became Gasland, you know, 13 years later, I'm seven films later. You know what I mean? I'm still doing this because I love it. So you have to do the thing that you love except if you love writing really bad folk songs, just leave those at home. Um, but no, you have to do the things that you love. It was a joke, um, half joke. But you also then, on the flip side of it, the thing that makes you special, then you have to do the thing that makes you not special. You have to show up as a foot soldier at the protest. You can't stay home. You have to show up at the action. You have to vote. You have to do all those things that make you not you know, special. So I guess for me, it's like, what am I going to do today to address this problem, but I'm also trying so hard to do something that I like to do. Of course, that means I have to do lots of things that I don't like to do, like write grants or file taxes or make phone calls to people to produce some, you know what I mean? But I guess the, the idea that and the problem is that you always think, oh, it's going to be really painful. I'm going to have to work. I'm going to have to hold a clipboard on the corner. Well, no, there's people who love holding a clipboard on the corner. I hate that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something else because I'll find my resilience and I'll find my longevity and I'll find the love of what I'm doing that, that way. You can't be like taking your medicine. I mean, I think you also have to do, you have to let yourself off the hook. Climate change is the problem is the cause of a hundred corporations, right? It's a political problem. It's not your fault. I mean, it's, it's everybody's collective fault, but you know, the idea that we have to beat ourselves up every single day of the week is I, I couldn't even imagine how terrible that would feel. The full conversation with Josh Fox is well and truly worth it. We go on to talk about his exploration of intergenerational trauma and what our next move should be as far as individuals go to make a change. It's well worth a listen. Uh, episode 387 in the podcast feed. If you scroll on back, you'll find it there. Thank you so much to Abby Benno who produced this episode, Andy Ma who did audio post, and you for listening. Thanks for being a part of it. I'll see you Friday. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.